Well, we're in part four of our series, The Surround Sounds of Christmas. And this series is all about what are the stories around Christmas? We know about the nativity. What some of the details that we sometimes we overlook and sometimes we, we, we miss? And so, for instance, when we think of the nativity scene, many of us have this image when Jesus was born that we have this image like this. And, we, and here we have Jesus, baby, there's baby Jesus in the barn. Look, Mary's holding them, surrounding baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are the shepherds and the wise men. What a, what a beautiful picture. This is what we have in our mind. But you know what's really interesting? Uh, in reality, it didn't look like this. In fact, it probably more like, looked like this photo. They're in a cave where they kept the animals, and, um, and they threw some, some kids in there to make it kind of um, cute, this picture. But, it's, it's, uh, but, this kind of, but what do you notice in this picture? You see the shepherds? You see the wise men? There's no wise men there. You might be surprised to know this, but, or, or you probably have no idea, or maybe you do, is that there were no wise men at the birth of Jesus. The Bible doesn't even mention that they were there. Many of us think that they were there with all our nativity scenes. In fact, all our nativity scenes are wrong. In fact, when we have the, the Christmas story, we have the, the wise men always in there. They weren't even at the birth. They weren't there the next day or the day after that or a week later or two weeks later. In fact, they don't turn up for another year and a half. That's how long it takes before the wise men actually turn up. And how many wise men were there? There were, many of us say there were three, right? You know, what's, you know, you know we're what's in the, so what, what verse does it say again that there were three wise men? The Bible doesn't say that there were three wise men. In fact, there, was a, there could have been one, there could have been ten. But whatever the case, there was no three wise men. There may have been three wise men. We don't know. The Bible doesn't actually say it. We, we kind of, the reason why we come up with three wise men is because there were three gifts given, right? And so the oh, three gifts must be three wise men. So if you're looking for a title of my message today, it is called Wise Guys. Wise Guys. Any wise guys in the house this morning? A bunch of wise guys? Yeah, a couple of wise guys. Let's be honest. We all consider ourselves wise guys, don't we? All the decisions we make, this is the right thing for us to do. And then, we, we, and then it, gets, it goes wrong. We go, man, I knew I should have done something else. We weren't so wise then. But I'm still a wise guy no, man, no matter what. But how many of us like to control our outcomes? Making sure, that, making sure that whatever I do, I'm in control. Whatever, my finances, I'm in control. Everything's in my family, I'm controlling my family. I'm controlling everything because I, I don't trust anybody. And if you begin to do this and you begin to trust no one else, what we tend to do is we push everybody away. And the reason why we push everybody away is because we've trusted somebody and they've let us down. How many of us has ever been let down by somebody that we trusted? Somebody that we thought they should come through and they let us down. In fact, all of us need to put, we all raise our hands because every single one of us have been let down. I mean, you've been let down so many times that you decide, oh, you know what, I'm not going to trust anybody. Because last time I trusted this person, and they let me down, and I trusted that person, they let me down, and therefore, I'm not trusting anybody. In fact, I don't even trust God, because I pray to God, God may intervene, but nothing happened. So I'm not even trusting God right now. Have you ever been in that position before? Like God, you, you said, and in fact, many of us have walked away from our faith, because God never kept His promises. God, you never kept your promise, and I'm walking away from my faith. But you know what's amazing? What's really amazing is God never made any of those promises of, the, of why we, we, we blame God for it. God, you, you, I thought you are going to heal my mother. I thought you are going to come through in my finances. I thought you are going to do all these things. But God never made any of those promises. In fact, what did God promise to do? God promised to send us a Savior. 
far better than any other promise that we could make. And, the, and, the, and his promise was to take away our sin, our shame, our greatest regrets. This is God's promise. This is Jesus' promise to you that Jesus is the only one who can walk into those places of shame and regret and wipe the slate clean. And that's greater than any promise we could ever have to get us in a right standing with God. And when we begin to push people away, the sad thing about that, we become lonely, angry people blaming everybody for our issues. And, and we start looking for tissue for our issue. And we can't find it anymore because one of the, your, your, your kids have used up all the tissues. Anybody ever go to get a tissue and all your kids have used it up? Like, all you need is one tissue. Why do you need three to blow your nose? But anyway, let's move on. Some issues that I'm dealing with. I need a tissue for that issue. Okay. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, anyway. Praise God. So when we come to identifying ourselves with the, with the characters in the Christmas story, when you, when you say, okay, this is who I identify with, some of you in this room might identify with the wise men. Anybody identify with the wise men? Oh, that's me. I'm a wise guy. Or maybe you identify with the Mary. Maybe you identify with Joseph. Or maybe you identify with the shepherds. Maybe you identify with baby Jesus. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm pretty righteous. That's me. Um, but <laughs> yeah. How many identify with baby Jesus? Anyway, let's, let's, let's move on. But for, you know, for me, who I identify with the most in this Christmas story, in fact, if you are honest, this is probably who you will identify the most with. And um, you'll be surprised to know that the person that we identify with the most is the villain of the Christmas story. And that's King Herod. In fact, there's a little King Herod in each one of us. And you're like, what? How do you say that? Well, just, just hear me out here before you start looking for stone. Uh, okay, <laughs> just hear me out here. Okay, so let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. So, so the Roman Empire had conquered just about everybody. Just about everybody, except for the thorn in their side, which is the Parthian Empire. And so we've got a little map here of what the, what the world looked like in the time of Jesus. And they were the Roman Empire that they had defeated the known world. And they, had, they were the ruling power, except for the Parthians, which were kind of next door to them. They're the only ones. That's the old Persian Empire, the old Persians, the Parthians. And they're right, in, right smack in the middle between the two was the buffer zone. That was the, the, that was the land of Palestine, Jerusalem, Judea. That this was the buffer zone. And through, through, the, through the time of the Parthians and Romans war, like sometimes the Romans were occupied, then the Parthians were occupied. They're constantly fighting. So in the time of Jesus, the Romans had to rule over Palestine at this time. Okay, so, uh, so just to, let's set the scene even more. Let's just go a bit further. Let's go 44 BC. Okay, Julius Caesar is assassinated by the Senate. He's killed, okay, he's gone. Now, he has a nephew. His, the nephew's name is Octavius. Octavius with his buddy Mark Anthony, they decide, you know what, let's go, let's, let's wipe out everybody. Let's, and they go on a rampage, wiping out everybody who, who were involved in killing his uncle, Julius Caesar. And Octavius pretty much wipes out everybody and eventually, there's only, there's only um, Octavius and Mark Anthony left, and there's only, one room, there's only one room for one sheriff in town. So then Octavius defeats Mark Anthony, and, and Octavius becomes the very first Roman Caesar, the very first Roman emperor, the very first Roman emperor, and he, and he changes his name to Caesar Augustus, the very first Roman emperor, because he conquered everybody. And during his reign, during his rule, uh, it, was, it is known as Pax Romana, which, which, which Pax Romana means the Roman peace. Because under Caesar Augustus, not only did he begin to extend his, his empire, not only extend his empire and solidify his empire, but he, bro he, he brokers a peace deal with the Parthians. And now there's peace between the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire. 
through uh, Caesar Augustus. And there's peace for, 200, for the next 200 years, actually, for what Caesar Augustus had done. There's 200 years of peace where you can travel through the roads between country to country and it's safe. In fact, if you, if you think of a time to bring the gospel, for the gospel to, be, to begin to spread, this is when you want, to, want the gospel to come. So when Jesus is born, he's born at the, at the right time. When all of a sudden, the gospel can spread through the known world because of the of Romana, of Pax Romana, the peace of the, of the Roman Empire. And so this is, this is, this is the scene for today. Now, now, what Caesar Augustus does, he, he puts King Herod as the puppet king, okay? He's a puppet king in Jerusalem. He makes him king of Jerusalem, okay? And basically, Caesar Augustus says this, keep the peace. This is your job. Keep the peace because this is the buffer zone between us and the Parthians. Your job is to keep the peace. And so now enter King Herod in the story. And, he was, and King Herod was the king of the time when Jesus was born, okay, in Jerusalem. Now the Hebrews, the, um, the Jews, they hated King Herod. And the reason why they hated King Herod is because he wasn't even Jew. He wasn't even Jewish. And, and for, if you're Jewish, you'll be like, you know, there should be no king but the uh, descendant of King David. The descendant of David should be the only king that should be around here. But King Herod was there. And they didn't like him. In fact, King, King, uh, King Herod, he was a wise, smart, politically astute man. And he was also known as King Herod the Builder. Because he, he, he built some amazing um, things. He was one of, the, one of the greatest builders of history. If, if you, if you, when you begin to learn about King Herod, he was a smart, intelligent man. He, he rebuilt the temple. He would build port cities. He, he built aqueducts. He was very, very smart, very, very ambitious. But it was his ambition that got the best of him. And that's why I say there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. Sometimes our ambition can get the best of us. And because he was, he was, he was a tyrant of a king. When King Herod got angry, people died. And he started making mistakes after mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. He thought he was a wise guy. But at the end, he died a lonely, angry man because he pushed everyone away. In fact, he would execute his wives when, when they did something he didn't like. Okay, next wife, oh, you're gone. And then he will put his sons in power. Okay, I'm writing a will, and you're going to be the next king after me. Then his son does something he doesn't like, so he executes his son. Gets the next son. You are now going to be the next king. Then the, the, he makes, he, he does something wrong, so he executes him. In fact, until, until all of the other sons say to King Herod, okay, dad, it's okay. We don't want to be king. That's all good, dad. Because King Herod was all about control, controlling the outcomes. And all he wanted was legacy. To, to, for him to be famous, to be known, for his name to be told, um, to, for told for centuries. King Herod, the builder. King Herod, the wise guy. And, this, and he wanted to control, control, control. And when he got angry, people died. In fact, so many rabbis died under King Herod than any other king that ever uh, during that time. That In fact, rabbis, kind of, they really went into Jerusalem. Because quite often they went there and they died. King Herod would put them to death. Okay, because he didn't like the things they were preaching. So they were gone. I'm so glad that doesn't happen today when you don't like the things that you're hearing that are being preached. No, the preacher doesn't die. Okay, next preacher. Okay. And so that's the scene. This is, this is what it looks like. This is the set in the scene for where we are today for the Christmas story. And so here we have it. King Herod, he hears news. And these, this news is, is the worst news possible for his ears. Okay. And Matthew, Matthew picks it up in the Gospels in chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And it reads like this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, okay, after he was born, so he was already born, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We've come looking for the king. So these magis come to King Herod and they, and they demand of him, where is the king? Where is the child born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. They're demanding this of, of, to King Herod. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. In fact, all Jerusalem with him. Now, the word disturbed here is, is from, in the Greek, it kind of refers to, to like a shaking of a washing machine. And so, which means that Jerusalem, not just King Herod, everybody were nervous. It was like the knees were shaking. Everybody, when these magi turn up, people were nervous. They were scared. You know, they thought they were Cook Islanders shaking their knees like this. And they dance. Anyway, let's carry on. So, you know, when, when, sometimes we just read past this and we think of these kind of like, uh, we think of these uh, three wise men sneaking into Jerusalem, right? And we've got this kind of picture. These guys are on the camel. There's the star. And they're sneaking into Jerusalem. And then they come before the king, King Herod, and they go, King Herod, where is the king, almighty one? We've come to worship him. We think of these kind of timid, you know, wise old sage, you know, these kind of real nice, nice guys. But, uh, but, these guys, they went before King Herod, and when you read the story, and knowing what we know about King Herod, how he is a tyrant, knowing that when, when he get, gets angry, people die, these guys, they were bold. They come right up to him. In fact, they insult him. They weren't even afraid of him. They come up to him and they say, where is their king? In fact, what they're saying is, we know that you are not the real king. We come to worship the real king. Where is he? Who are these guys that were bold enough to come to King Herod, the tyrant, the, the, the guy that will kill people if he doesn't like them. And, and now what Matthew is telling us that even King Herod was afraid. He had knocking of the knees. He was doing like a little Cook Island dance. He was shaking of the knees. So who are these guys that even make King Herod afraid? And what we need to understand that these, 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 these wise guys, or the Magi, the Magi comes from, from a word called uh, Magian, 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 which means wise. Magian means wise. Okay, that's where we get the wise men. Majin, that's where we get the word, that's where Magi come from. And they come from the Parthian Empire. Remember the Parthian Empire? The thorn on the side? So these guys, you gotta understand something. These guys, they were powerful men. They were very powerful. In fact, no king of Persia, no king of the Parthian Empire can become king unless there's, there's, two, there's, there's only two categories of how they can become king. Now, the first one is this they had to learn the ways of the Magi, learn their ways, learn their science. Uh, learn their religion, learn their things. Once they've learned it, number two, the, the next way they can become king is that the magi had to approve, yes, you can become king. So these magis, they were kingmakers. So now we have these kingmakers coming, looking to worship a king. They made kings. So these kingmakers are coming to worship a king that they didn't make, that they recognized was a king even greater than them. So when these guys turn up, all of Jerusalem were nervous because they didn't look like this three, three little men sneaking into Jerusalem. It looked more like this, this part, these Parthian magis, high officials. These guys weren't afraid of anybody. These guys were coming. They had a caravan, and they would have, had, they would have, came, they would have came with armed escorts of Parthian warriors. And, and these are some Parthian warriors. They, they would have turned up with armed escorts. So it was like an army marching into Jerusalem. That's why when we read, this, when we read in Scripture that, they were, they, that, that all of Jerusalem, they were nervous. King Herod was nervous because you know what they were afraid of? They're, oh, no, don't tell me. There's going to be another war between the Parthians and the Romans. Oh, 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 no, what's going on? And King Herod, what's King Herod's job? Keep the peace. 
That's his job, so he's afraid. So this is the scene. This is what we go back to those wise men, those magis, these, these Parthian, these high officials coming. They're coming into town, and they come to King Herod. They say, where is the king? Because you are not a real king. And they're not afraid of King Herod because he's, he's just a puppet king. And we've come to worship a king. So that's the scene. So let's, let's go, get back to the, to the narrative. Verse 4. So this is King Herod. When he had called together all the peoples of chiefs, priests, because these magis, they were following a star, and all of a sudden they get to Jerusalem, and there's no star to follow. So now they're asking, where, where do we go? Where is he to be, to be, to be born? So King Herod gets all, his, all, all the wise scholars together, Hebrew scholars, the, the rabbis, and when he called them together, all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So remember, whenever King Herod uh, calls you, you're scared. Okay. And then they reply, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the worst news possible for King Herod to hear, that there is actually another king, the true king being born. Verse 10, so the speaking of the magic, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So all of a sudden, the star appears. They're, they're heading to Bethlehem, and they see the star. Okay, now, me, me, there's lots of theories of what the star could be. Some people say, oh, you know, it was kind of Jupiter and all these other, these other planets aligned, making what appeared to be one big star. But in my opinion, and when you're reading Scripture, uh, I believe the star were angels. And the reason why I say that, because in Scripture, time and time again, we'll describe angels as stars. Right in Revelation, uh, the, 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 um, the seven churches are the seven stars. Oh, the seven stars represent seven angels of the seven churches. Um, in the Old Testament, they're, they're, called, they're called the morning star. In fact, uh, the devil was called the morning star in Isaiah. And so the morning star in, in Latin, the translation of morning star in Latin is the word Lucifer, is where we get Lucifer from. Okay, Lucifer is not the devil's name. It's a title. It just means morning star. Okay, it's not. In fact, even the, the, the name devil is not the devil's name. The, the devil means adversary. That's what I mean. It's, 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 they're not names. This is his name. His name is Lucifer. His name is the devil. His, they're titles of what he is. He's an adversary. And, he's, and he, was a, he was a morning star. He was an angel. Okay, so that's so, so what I believe. In fact, when we read the narrative of Jesus' the announcement, God uses angels to announce it. So, so I really believe all of a sudden these, these, they were following were angels. They were stars, appearing as stars, and, they, and it moved. And then, it, and then it, and it stopped over, and it stopped right over where Jesus was, and they knew exactly where he was. And so in my opinion, it was, it was angels. You can take that or flush it in the dunny, up to you. Anyway, let's move on. Verse 11. On coming to the house, okay. So here we have it. On coming to the house, they weren't in the stable, okay. They weren't still in the stable or were the place where animals now. were now in the house. They weren't in the stables. They didn't turn up to a stable. Oh, you've been here for a year and a half. You should have found a house by now. So they're in a house. So, so at least, so on coming to the house, okay, they saw the child. Okay, remember, not a baby. They saw the child. So Jesus is not a baby. So he's at least a year and a half. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. They prostrated him before the king. These, these Parthian High officials, full of authority, they worship him. They're not singing a song. Oh, you know, like, joyful, joyful, Lord. They weren't singing songs. They worshiped them. They were down. They recognized who he was. These kingmakers, 
knowing that they'll stand before a king that they could never make. But let me ask you this question. Who were these magi? How did they know to worship him? So if we go back another, another six centuries, when Israel were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, there we find the prophet Daniel, and he, he rises to prominence within the Magis. In fact, the Bible tells us that he becomes head of the Magis. In fact, when we think of the, the Persian, the Persian uh, bloodline, the kings, you, you've got Hebrew blood within them because you think of Queen Esther. So, that, so that there's this influence of, of Hebrew influence within the Persian, the Parthian Empire. And so many scholars believe that it was, it was, it was Daniel, the prophet, who set in motion a messianic prophecy of the king that was to come. And he said it before the Magi's, and these Magi's were waiting for the signs that Daniel had put forth. And they recognized the star. said, this is the, this is the Messiah. This is he. And they come and they worship. They worship before the king. They surrender it all before the king. I wonder what you need to surrender. I wonder what you need to surrender here. Or, or are we like King Herod who want to hold tightly to everything that we can control? I'm not going to surrender to anything. I'm not going to surrender to anyone. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these are the three gifts where we get, we get the idea of three, three uh, wise men, people think. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another road. And here we have King Herod. He's about eight kilometers away, anxious, waiting. He's like, where are those wise guys? Where are they? Where are they? And he's consumed with, with, with anger about protecting, control, protecting, control. With his hands clenched in a fist, he's not going to bow down to anybody. I'm not going to surrender to anybody. I'm not going to bow down to anybody because it's about me. I'm not trusting anybody but myself. And that's why I say there's a little bit of Herod, King Herod in all of us. Sometimes we don't want to let go of our finances. We don't want to let go of our family. I, I've got this. You're struggling, but I've got this. I'm not going to let anybody else know. I can control this. You're drowning in debt, but I can control this. You, you're, you're drowning in your relationship, but I can control this. And, we, and we're holding tight to, to what we think we can control. But ultimately, it's burning us up because we're pushing everybody away. And we're pushing God away. But will you let go and surrender before the king? Go, Lord, I'm surrendering to you, my family. I'm surrendering you to my finances. I'm surrendering you all control. Because the more you need God, the more you'll see God. And if you don't need God, the less you need God, the less you will see Him. But when we surrender it all, that's when transformation begins to happen in your life. Let go and let God. Because transformation happens on the other side of surrender. Verse 13. So when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And see, this is where these gifts that came, this is God's provision, providing for them, to provide for where they were going to live or where they're going to stay, they travel. This is God's provision. Set in motion 600 years earlier through, through Daniel. 
And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When, the, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And when King Herod is furious, people die. And so King Herod does what, what we can't even imagine anybody doing. He gives an order that we, that we, we can't even imagine a soldier would follow unless you know the story of King Herod. And he does, and he gives an order that we can't imagine giving. And he goes for the nuclear option. Well, if you won't tell me where he's born, if you won't tell me his exact location, then I'm going to kill everybody who's of that age. And I don't care because it's about control. And then one, early one morning, soldiers roll into the villages and the surrounding villages, and they kill any child that was two years and under right in front of their families. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi's. But you know what also happened that year? That was also the year that King Herod died. Because what King Herod had, he had a painful kidney disease. And he died a painful death, an agony. But even in his agony, the hour leading up to his death, he was dying. He gives this order. What I want... Go and collect up all the influential men of Jerusalem. Collect them all. Put them in jail. And they collect them all up. And he says, the moment I die, I want all these men executed. Because you know what King Herod knew? King Herod knew that when he died, there was going to be a party in Jerusalem. So he wanted to make sure that when he died, someone was mourning. Someone was mourning. So they collected up all the most influential men. And when he died, they let them go. They didn't follow his orders. They let them go. King Herod, he was, a, he, was, he was known as Herod the Great, Herod the Builder. But you know what's amazing? King Herod only became, is, is only a footnote in the story. And all he wanted was control and legacy for people to remember his name. Can you imagine if you, if you, if you spoke with King Herod? Like, King Herod, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is, is 2,000 years from now, people are going be, to be, be reading your story. They're going to be reading your story and retelling your story in languages not yet spoken and countries not yet discovered. They're going to be reading your story. And King Herod goes, wow, that's exactly what I want. But I've got some bad news. King Herod, you're just a footnote in that story. You're just a B player in that story. I'm sorry to say this, King Herod. You're not known in most circles as King Herod the builder, but you're known as King Herod the butcher. Because that's who you are. And though he thought he was a wise guy, ultimately he died a lonely, angry man. What story do you want told? What story do you want your children's children to remember you by? Will your story be that you clung on to everything as hard as you could, control all the outcomes? only to eventually give it all away? Or will your story be a man or woman who surrendered it all because you realized it wasn't yours to begin with? Let go and let God because transformation happens on the other side of surrender. You know, before I come to know Jesus, I was an angry, angry young man. I tried to control all my situations. I didn't trust anybody but myself. I was in it to win it, 
and I didn't care about who I would hurt in, in the process. Growing up, I was a bully growing up, and I didn't care if I bullied you. I didn't care if I hurt you. I didn't care because it wasn't about you. It was about me, what I can control. Until I met Jesus. Until you surrender it all, transformation begins to take hold of your life. And you can't help but see people. You can't help to see the way God sees people. And ultimately, you can't help to see yourself and how God sees you. You know, uh, I just want to share this story. It happened, it happened last night. We, we, we're at this Tamil celebration. Amazing Christmas party. Lots of spicy food. Very full stomach. I'm not going to tell you I had to pay for it later. But anyway. Oh, in fact, sorry about that. Get that image anyway. So we, we went back home. We're coming back. And it was about 11.30 last night just to help Tipani clean up the place, get it ready for church this morning. And as we're driving around, we're just by the mobile station outside the bus stop. As we turn around the corner, we see this guy getting beaten up by three people. Gets knocked to the ground. And these guys were all kicking this guy on the ground. So we slammed on the brakes, deep puddle, puts a hand on my, beeps the horn really, really loudly. You need to understand something. In the past, I was just driven by. Because we all got this option. What do we do? Do we help someone in need that's dangerous or do we just drive by? It's not my problem. It's not my problem. So we stop. Puddle jumps out of the car. First one out of the car. I jump out behind her like this. <laughs> you tell him, Puddle, you go tell him. And she's like, pee off. I don't know what she's talking about, peas, but anyway. Go find some peas or something, I don't know. Pee off. And then they, and they, these three guys, they, they, they leave, they, they kind of th- they start walking off, and they mumble something, and she's like, what did you say? I said, hey, Porter, just let them go. All good. I know you've got lots of faith in me, but you've got more faith than I do. <laughs> but you know what's the amazing thing is there were people all around. Nobody stopped to help. There was one guy at the gas station, he went to get a crowbar, and he was like, what should I do? But I was portal to the rescue. And we helped this guy up, his blood just pouring from his face. And, he, and we put him in the car, and we'd, we'd help him up his nose, and, we'd, and we said, where, do, where are you staying? And he goes, oh, I was on my way to Chartwell. 11.30 at night. He goes, well, are you going to walk there? This is, we're in Norton. So we, we, take him, we take him there. And while we're taking him, we're saying, you know, Jesus loves you. Just begin to share to him. And before we dropped him, I said, can we, can we pray for you? So we prayed for him. And he said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for what you guys have done. I was going, well, and Porter said, sorry, we couldn't get there earlier. And he goes, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> let me tell you something. When you let go and let God, you begin to do things that you don't think you'll do. You, you, you don't stop. You, all of a sudden, you now stop. You become like the good Samaritan when no one else stopped, when everybody else was just spectators. We can all be spectators. Or when God transforms your heart, you cannot help but get involved. But don't get me wrong, keep yourself safe at the same time. Do you need portal with you? Just have her in the car. She'll be right. But let go and let God because transformation happens on the other side. You can try to hold on to control, trying to your best to control outcomes. 
Will your story be a story of resistance? Will you take your cue from King Herod? Or will you take your cue from the wise man who surrendered it all?